Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Hi. How's everybody doing this morning? It's great to be here with you guys today. My name is Zach Wright. I'm the campus pastor at our Frisco West campus. It's great to be here in the room at East today with you guys. For everybody watching online from our online campus, our McKinney campus, our Prosper campus, and then of course my people, Frisco West, love you guys. Welcome everyone this morning. It's so great to be here with you. We are getting ready for Christmas. Anybody else in that mindset right now? It's coming quick. So as a church, we've been planning for a while. One of our favorite times of year is Christmas Eve. We get to celebrate the birth of Jesus together. So you're going to hear this a bunch. You already heard it in the loop. You're going to hear it from me now. You're going to hear it over the next week. This is important to us. If you have not RSVP'd yet for a Christmas Eve service, christmasathope.net. You can take out your phone right now. This is the only time in the service when you can take your phone out. I won't, I won't call you out for it. RSVP if you can. And the reason we're asking you to do this is because it helps us prepare. We want these services to be as amazing as possible. We're expecting guests and visitors from our community. And so when people RSVP and let us know what service they're coming to, we can help prepare and make sure it's a great experience for everyone. So hurry up and RSVP because once the service fills up, we're going to shut that one down and then ask that you attend a different one. So across all of our campuses, we've got multiple options. There's something for everybody. And we hope you'll join us at Christmas Eve. One other thing I want to remind you guys about, next weekend will be our last Prosper Giving weekend of the year. Pastor John talked about this last week. I just want to send it as a reminder and also to thank you as a church for your incredible generosity. Our Prosper campus is incredible. If you haven't been out there, Prosper, I know you're watching right now. You're probably cheering in the room for how amazing it is. The building's incredible, but even better, the people are amazing, and we're excited to see what God is going to continue to do at the Prosper campus through Hope Fellowship. So make sure and join us next weekend. Uh, It's going to be an awesome time together. Well, Christmas is in full swing. There's decorations everywhere. Across all of our campuses, it's just flooded with Christmas trees and ornaments and all kinds of stuff. Every business you go into, there are decorations all over the place. You can't go somewhere without seeing Christmas decorations. And when it comes to Christmas decorating, I think there's two types of people. There are those that are like Buddy the Elf. They're spreading Christmas cheer by singing loud for all to hear. They make hot chocolate. They put on Christmas music while they hang all the different decorations, and it just warms their heart. And then there's the other type of person. (laughs) These take on more of the attitude of, like, Kevin McAllister in Home Alone. You're just burning everything to the ground. You know, keep the change, you filthy animal. I don't want any part of this Christmas decorating. And then they marry each other. And it causes some problems that you got to work out. (laughs) Now, I think it's important to distinguish the second one because it is possible to love Christmas and hate Christmas decorating. This is where I find myself. I love Christmas. It's a wonderful time of year. I just hate dragging 20 boxes down from the attic. (laughs) It is not my favorite thing in the world. And then you got a strand of lights that always has like half the bulbs out and you're fiddling with it, trying to replace the bulb, figuring out what the heck a fuse is. You spend two hours and the lights still don't work. It just, it does not bring warm, fuzzy feelings. My wife loves decorating for Christmas. It is one of her favorite times of year. So after I drag the boxes down, she kicks me out of the house because she doesn't like my attitude. (laughs) 
She thinks Christmas decorations should go up as soon as possible. I think they should go up a little bit closer to Christmas. So this year we compromised, and I started hanging lights on the house on October 20th. <laughs> That's a marriage compromise if you've, ever, <laughs> if you've ever heard one. Well, however you feel about Christmas, you've come to the right place this morning. We're continuing in our Advent series right now called I Hate Christmas. And the reason we titled it this way There's funny reasons why Christmas might be annoying to us, but there's also very real reasons. For some people, Christmas might bring memories of pain and loss, reminders of unmet expectations, and it's not the most wonderful time of year. And so what we want to do is look at time-tested truths that carry us through no matter how we feel about Christmas. If you love Christmas, this is still going to be a great series for you. But if Christmas is painful for you, I think it helps remind us of what we know to be true. So here's where we've been over the last few weeks. Week one, we talked about patience. What an incredible virtue it is in our lives. Last week, Pastor John talked about hope. And then today, we're talking about joy. And I think joy is the perfect follow-up to hope. Last week, Pastor John talked about how when our hope is misplaced, when it's put in the wrong things, it leads us down a bad path. But when our hope is secure, When we're sure of it, we're certain of the hope that Jesus has given us, it gives us so many blessings in life. And the reason I think joy is such a great follow-up is because a confident hope leads to joy. This joy we're going to talk about today, it's a blessing. You could live life without it if you wanted. But when we're able to understand how much of a blessing it is in our lives, it gives us the desire to pursue it to build it up in a way that makes our lives better. Joy is a common theme throughout the Christmas story. You read all of the different stories that talk about the birth of Jesus. We see Mary and Joseph, after the initial shock of the news from the angel wore off, they were filled with joy because God was going to accomplish his plan through their family. The shepherds, whenever the angels announced to them that Jesus was born, they left what they were doing and they went right away to celebrate with the family. The wise men, they searched long and far, and when they finally found the newborn king, they showered him with gifts, and they were filled with joy. I think it's important for us to understand what their joy meant, because it's not like, like a lot of us can be happy, especially around Christmas. You know, the, the parties, the decorations, there's so many fun things that just makes us happy, but those fade over time. Their joy was different. For generations, their people had been waiting for God to fulfill his promise. God had promised that a Messiah would come and make things right to restore the relationship between God and his people. And they had gone through hundreds of years of suffering and waiting. And when Jesus was born, it was almost like this sense of relief, like, it's going to be okay. That's a deeper kind of joy, not just this surface level happiness that we feel. It's just this sense of knowing that God is going to fulfill his promises. I was trying to think of a way to replicate that feeling, and this is a much smaller scale than that, but have you ever put a piece of furniture together? When did we start buying furniture in pieces? I miss the day when it used to come in one piece. Someone decided that we're better off assembling it ourselves. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) You want me to put this together? Anyway, that's my rant for today. Last year at Christmas... My oldest daughter wanted a vanity. A vanity is a desk with a mirror on it 
for all the guys in the room, I learned last year what a vanity is. And so my wife, my wife and I, we purchased it, and she's like, okay, you're going to have to put this together before Christmas. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll take care of it. And then time kept going by, and we get to Christmas Eve. I'm like, it's fine. I'll put it, I'll put it together after they go to bed. So get home a little bit late from our Christmas services. We put the kids to bed. I'm like, all right, let's do this. I'm going to knock this out. And I open it up to realize it's a 200-piece monster from Wayfair. And I realize I've made a terrible mistake. I mean, hundreds of little screws and washers and tiny little pieces everywhere. It's not good. I did not experience the joy of Christmas in my heart at 1 a.m. on Christmas morning last year. But anytime I'm putting a piece of furniture like this together, there's always a point in the project. Like I'm frustrated. I can't figure it out. The pieces aren't really making sense. The instructions are terrible. They're not helpful at all. But finally, either like a missing part, I find it, or I flip something around, and then it clicks into place. And I'm still far from finished. There's a lot left to go, but every time I work on this, there's always this point when I get to this place and be like, okay, this is going to be okay. I'm not there yet, but I know where this is going. And then I can be at peace as I'm working on the rest of it. It's a much smaller example, but that's the type of joy that they felt. Just everything clicked into place. There's still a lot left to go, but God was fulfilling his promises to his people. And that is a type of joy that cannot be taken away from us, no matter what we go through in life. Jesus' birth came announcing that this joy was available to everyone. It is a gift and a blessing from the Lord when we cultivate it in our lives. We could try to choose to live life without it, but not only for ourselves, the blessings that we receive from it, we're gonna talk about that in a minute, how it makes our lives better, but what better testimony to the world around us than a people who live with joy every single day? As Christians, we have to learn how to develop this in our lives. It's such an important part of following Jesus. So this joy is available to all of us. The question we have to ask is how do we attain it? This is what we're gonna look at today. Three different things. The first one, if I could leave any of them off the list, right off the bat, I wish this one wasn't on here. This isn't exciting. Joy is built through pain. Oh, awesome. Sign me up. That sounds great. The next one, joy is a state of being, not an emotion. This is where we separate joy from happiness. They're not the same thing. It's not possible to be, ha to be happy in everything that we go through, but it is possible to have joy. And then the last one, joy can be learned. And this is good news for all of us. If we've come into this room today or whatever campus we might be at, and you hear the idea of joy and think, that's, that's not possible. There's just no way. It can be learned. It starts small. As we follow Jesus, joy begins to become a part of our lives, and then it grows and grows over time. So if we find ourselves in that place where joy just seems unattainable, the good news is we can work at it. It can get better in our lives. So let's start with the first one. Joy is built through pain. This is the toughest one. We go to James chapter one, verses two through four. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Again, if there's a verse I could choose to kick out of the Bible, this would be one. Consider it joy when you go through trials or troubles of many kinds. 
There's so much wisdom in just these three verses right here. When trials come our way, we're supposed to consider it joy. Now, this doesn't mean that we go out and seek out trials and persecution. We're not supposed to go and punish ourselves and just take on as much punishment as we can. It says, when troubles come your way. Not if, when troubles come your way. And they will come. If you've lived long enough, just wait. You know, they're coming. It's around the corner. When they come our way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, what, what is a trouble? Other, other translations say a trial. When hard things happen in our lives. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if we need a scale of like what makes the list and what doesn't. There's like the lowest form of maybe annoying things. I, I don't even think this makes the list, but maybe like a first world problem. <laughs> this is probably not what he's talking about. I think of um, anytime I travel... I miss my pillow. Anybody else in that same category? It's stupid, but like my neck hurts because other pillows just aren't the same. No one tells you as an adult how much you're going to need a good pillow. That one probably doesn't make the list. But if we start really small, all the way up to the worst things you can imagine. And I think it helps to give us context by looking at the people that James was writing to. James was writing to the persecuted early church. So after the time of Jesus, the church began to grow and spread, and it did not go well at first. People were not happy about this new faith that was spreading like wildfire. And so they were persecuted often because of their faith. They were kicked out of their homes. They lost possessions. They lost status. They were killed because of what they believed. They lost family members. It's the worst kinds of things you can imagine. And so James is saying to that group of people, consider it joy when you go through troubles of many kind. He's saying there's not, there's not a threshold where you're exempt from this. Like if it gets this bad, then you don't have to pay attention to this part. From the lowest possible thing to the highest possible thing, he says consider it joy when you go through troubles of any kind. And the reason is, he goes on to say, your endurance has a chance to grow. This is not ever something we're thankful for in the moment. I don't think it's realistic when, you're, when we're going through difficult times to stop and say, you know what, I'm really, I'm really excited about this. I'm thankful for this. It's hard. We walk our way through it. We stumble our way through it. It's painful. It's difficult. But over time, we're able to look back and see how our endurance has grown. And I think endurance or perseverance is such a valuable quality that we need more of. We can't just give up when things get hard. We can't just stop doing the right thing because we don't feel like it. We need more perseverance and endurance in our lives. Because as we do that, God builds up so much in us. Our faith is grown. It is tested. It is complete. I think endurance means, means staying steadfast in what we know to be true. Doing what's right even when it costs us something. Because the more we struggle, the more we work our way through difficult things, through painful things, the stronger we get. We don't seek it out. It's so difficult to go through those things, but they will happen. At some point in our lives, we will go through difficult things. And when we do, we persevere, we endure, we trust in the Lord to carry us through and we don't have the strength on our own. And as we do, it leads to good things in our lives. I think the best things in life come from struggle. If you think about a professional athlete, they don't get to the top of their craft just by kind of coasting along. They train, they struggle, they work their way to get to that point. If you think about the best marriages you know, 
Marriages that have stood the test of time. Those marriages have struggled and strained their way to that point. I promise you, it was not an easy road. If you are married, some of the best times of growth have come through the struggle, not through the easy things. And the same is true in our spiritual life. The more we struggle, the more we walk through difficult things, the more our faith is tested and strengthened. And when that happens, it leads to the last part of the verse, that our faith is made complete. And what an incredible blessing that is. So here's what that tells us. Struggle leads to strength. That's a pastor phrase. There's a good alliteration, you know, like this is a pastor phrase. If it rhymes, you can like struggle leads to strength. You get fired up about it. But it's also true. I like that part about it. Struggle leads to strength. The more we struggle, the more we strain our way through things. The more we endure, the more we persevere, the stronger we become. And God brings about this fullness and completeness in our lives. That is the blessing that we're talking about with joy. Imagine being able to face anything in life and being able to still respond with joy. Not happiness, it's not the same thing, but just this belief in God's promises, somehow believing in the midst of pain and struggle and troubles that God is still good. What an incredible gift if we can develop that in our lives. Now, the good news is, this is not the only way that joy is built. We start with that one, joy coming through pain, because it's the most difficult one. If we can learn that one, all of the other ones are going to fall into place. But this is the most difficult one to learn. So we move to the next one. Joy is a state of being, not an emotion. I think this means that joy can be found in anything. In every single part of our lives, joy is available, not just in the hard stuff, in the good stuff, in the extraordinary things, in the mundane, ordinary parts of life. As it becomes a part of who we are, joy is available in every situation and circumstance. I think Romans 12, starting in verse 9, does an incredible job of summing up the different parts of life that we can find joy. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who, are weep, who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Most of life is encompassed in those things. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Never repay evil with evil. Live at peace with those around you. Serve others in a way that shows them God's love. Joy is in everything. In every single part of our lives, we can find this type of joy that God has available for us. And it's a developed habit. It's something that we begin to recognize and build upon in our lives. I wish this is something that we could talk about today and then we've learned it once and now we have joy. I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I think it's something we start small and then it grows and it grows and it grows in our life. And the way that it grows is through time and experience. 
So it's possible to say, I'm not very good at it right now, but I'm getting better. As I walk through more things in life, as I live a little bit longer, as I learn more about God's goodness, it grows in my life. And I think we can never underestimate the power of time and experience. There are so many things in life that we want to rush to the result, to the end. If we tried to jump to the end, we would miss out on all the things that form and shape us. The strengthening part that I'm talking about, you could get to the end, but you won't have the strength that comes from struggling our way through it. There's no substitute for time and experience. Think about a career. If you've been in a career for a long time, you feel confident in what you do because you've seen a lot. You've been through a lot. And you can't rush those things. You can go through trainings and orientations, but until you live it and live it again and fail at it and keep going and live it again, then you become confident in that thing. I started in ministry when I was 23 years old. And I had no idea what I was doing. I thought I did. But it took me time to realize what it means to be a pastor. There's so many different parts of working in ministry. Maybe it's leading other people. Maybe it's speaking in front of people. It could be counseling people through difficult things, walking through really difficult trials with people, counseling uh, through the hardest parts of life, visiting hospitals, officiating weddings, funerals, all of those different types of things. I can take classes on those. But until I do it, and then do it again, and then do it 10 times, 50 times, 100 times, then it starts to become more natural. I remember the very first wedding that I ever officiated. I was probably more nervous than they were, sweating profusely. It was a distraction. It was bad. The, okay, to be fair, it was outside in Texas in the summer. So please don't schedule your weddings. I'm wearing my black suit. I'm sweating so bad. I've learned now to kind of help guide them towards, what about an indoor wedding with air conditioning? That's time and experience for you. But over time, God has given me this confidence in being a pastor, not because I'm some amazing person, but because I've been through it. I've walked through it. And if you've been in a career for a long time, the same is true. You can be confident in what you do because of that time and experience. And confidence and arrogance are different. Arrogance is just putting all the attention on yourself. Look how amazing I am. Confidence is saying, God has gifted me to do this, and I'm going to honor him by doing it well. I'm going to put in the time. I'm going to gain experience, and I'm going to continue to get better at it. And joy is the same way. Time and experience build it up in our lives. So I think it's best to, when we like see how we're doing or measure where our joy is at, to look back five years or 10 years. Because when we, we're just right here with it, it feels like, man, I haven't really gone that far. It doesn't feel like it's that developed in my life. But when we look back five years or 10 years, we see God's faithfulness. We can lean on experiences that we've been through before. When we come up against a difficult thing in our lives, we can look back and see how God was faithful five years ago. 10 years ago, and trust that he will do it again. Even if we don't see the answer of how he's going to be faithful, we know that he will because our time and experience tells us so. Joy grows best by settling in for the long run. So it's okay to not be fully developed at it. It's okay to come in here today and hear the idea of joy and think, I need more of that in my life. It is possible to get better. I still have a long way to go on the journey of joy but I can look back at where God has been faithful and see that I've come a long way. And that is possible for every single one of us. There's another way that joy grows, by learning it. And specifically, I mean learning from other people. 
There's a verse in Jeremiah that I think sums this up really well. This is God talking to his people, the people of Israel. He said, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But you replied, no, that's not the road we want. We find ourselves here a lot. This is the path. It is a trusted, well-worn path of faith. People have walked it before us. But it's not an attractive path. It's not an easy path. That's not the path we want. Isn't there another one that we could go through? An easier one, one that's maybe a little bit more exciting? What this is telling us is that we're not the first ones to walk through what we're going through. Someone else has gone before us. Throughout our history of faith, over the centuries, men and women of God have testimonies of following God faithfully, even in the most difficult circumstances. There are testimonies of them developing joy no matter what life throws at them. Joy can be learned. We just have to go and find other people who've been through what we're going through. As a pastor, people often ask me, a similar, if any pastors out there, you get asked this question a lot, and usually it'll come up like you meet somebody randomly and they're like, So, what do you do? Like, I'm a pastor, and it usually goes like this, Huh? Hey, I got a question for you. <laughs> and it's, you know, there's a handful of questions, it's almost always the same one. Sometimes it'll have to do with, like, What do you think about what's happening in Israel right now, or the end times, you know, all those kinds of things. But then more often than not, it usually leads to some form of why is God letting this thing happen in my life? Or in general, why, why do bad things happen? It's such a difficult question. Everyone's looking for a direct answer to that question. But honestly, I think it's the wrong question. Eugene Peterson was an amazing pastor and writer who passed away recently. He said this when people would ask him this question. As a pastor, I'm thrust into the role of a clerk in the complaints department of humanity, asked to trace down bad service, listen sympathetically to aggrieved patrons, try to put right any mistakes I can, and apologize for the rudeness of management. <laughs> I like that last part. It's my boss's fault. God, I know, he's driving me crazy too, right? This question comes a lot. I think we can guide towards the right thing, but to give a direct answer to it is difficult. Who could perfectly understand the mind and nature of God? Who could look at specific circumstances and explain perfectly why this particular thing is happening? It's just not possible. And so this leads us to realize that I think we're asking the wrong question. Eugene Peterson goes on to say, instead we ask, how does it happen that there are people who sing with such, such confidence, God's strong name is our help. That's powerful. Instead of asking, why did God let this happen? We ask, who else has God brought through this? I'm not the first one to go through what I'm going through. I can go and find other people who've been through it. I can go read about other people who've been through it. This is where we come back to the verse in Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says, stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls.
There is an old godly way. There is a trusted, well-worn path of faith that men and women have walked through for centuries. And when we find ourselves in a difficult circumstance, we can go out and find others who've been through what we've been through. We can go and read about heroes of faith. If you want a place to get started, there's a couple of books I would recommend. You could read Voices of the Martyrs by John Fox. You could read The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin, and it tells the stories of men and women of faith testifying to God's goodness. We could go and find someone in our lives, look around at the godly people around us and ask them, how has God brought you through difficult things? And here's what they're gonna do. They're not gonna give us a direct answer. They're not gonna say, here's the right answer to this question. Instead, they're gonna tell us their story. And their stories stand as a powerful testimony to the goodness of God. And those stories give our lives hope. They show us the way of how God can do the same for us. Sometimes stories are better than answers because stories testify to the nature of God and it gives us the bigger picture of what he's doing in his creation. And so if we ever find ourselves discouraged and unable to find this type of joy in our lives, we stand at the crossroads and we look. We ask for the old godly way. We invite godly people into our lives to speak into us. Some of the most incredible growth I've experienced in my life is by learning from others. There are amazing people around us if we just look. Joy can be learned. It's not an easy process. There's no shortcut to it. But if we put in the time, if we learn from others, it can begin to grow in our lives. Because of that, it is possible to say, I hate Christmas and still have joy. It is possible to say, I am struggling, I'm in pain, whatever thing it is that's happening around me, and still have joy. It is available to us in all things. Here's how I would sum it up. Joy is the steadfast belief in God's promises. No matter what we go through, in the good things we celebrate and we thank God for who he is, We celebrate his blessings in our lives. In the painful things, we remember somehow that God is still good. We believe in his promises that even though we can't see the end, we know where this is going. So I think the question for all of us today, what does it look like to let joy grow in our lives? Wherever we find ourselves right now, maybe we're starting very small. It feels something so far away. Or maybe we've been living for a long time and joy is a part of our lives and we want it to continue to grow. Maybe it means reflecting on the difficult things that we've been through. Zooming out and seeing God's faithfulness in spite of the pain. Maybe it means recognizing that joy is all around us in every circumstance, every single day in the mundane, ordinary parts of life. Joy is there. And maybe it means seeking out others or reading about those heroes of faith whose testimonies stand as witness to the goodness of God. What does it look like for joy to grow? Now, we can develop this for ourselves, the blessing that comes with it. The verse says that when our joy is grown, our endurance makes us complete, lacking nothing. We're fortified, we're tested, we're ready for whatever this life might throw at us. And that is a blessing. We should all seek to have that type of thing in our life. 
But as followers of Christ, we have to develop this joy because it is the best testimony we can give to the world around us. There is a hurting and broken world out there that needs to know about the love of Jesus. They're thinking that joy is not possible. They're going through difficult things and wondering, why is this happening to me? How could I possibly make sense of this life? Where can I find meaning and purpose? And as we develop joy in our lives, it stands as a testimony to God's love for them. Do you know this type of person that I'm talking about? Whose joy just shines through in everything they do. You want to be around that type of person. There is something different about them. And I'm not talking about like the naively optimistic person that's always like, it's going to be fine, everything's okay. That's not what joy is. Joy is responding in love when it doesn't make sense. Joy is living in such a way that people can see there is something different about us. Joy is doing the right thing even when it costs us something. It's loving others unconditionally. And when we live that way, people can see Jesus' love in us. So yes, we develop the joy in our lives because of the blessings that it brings to us, but also it stands as a testimony to the goodness of God. We shine a light into darkness by living out joy on a daily basis. So as followers of Christ, let's work on this. Let's get better at it. And let's give hope and joy to a hurting and broken world that needs it through the way that we live, through the way that we speak, and through the way that we act. We can experience the same joy that everyone felt in the Christmas story. The wise men, the shepherds, Mary and Joseph, that sense of relief, God will fulfill his promises. It's not done yet, but I know where this is going. That is available to us today. We have to seek it out. Ask God to develop it in our lives. And then as it does, use it to shine a light into a hurting and broken world around us. Today, I want to close with lighting the Advent candle. Advent is a tradition that's been around for centuries. The word Advent means the arrival of something important. And at Christmas, we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, God's Son, coming into this world. And so each week of Advent, we celebrate the gifts that God gave to us through His Son, Jesus. Each candle represents one of those gifts. And so today, as we light the third candle, we reflect on and we are thankful and grateful for the gift of joy. I think an appropriate way to follow up with lighting the candle is by taking communion together. So as you came in today, you've got one of these cups. Whatever campus you're at right now, you should have one as well. If you don't have one, raise your hand up high. We've got ushers at all of our campuses that will bring one to you. Just keep your hand up until they, they give you one. We take communion today because it reminds us that these gifts on the candles that are lit at each of our campuses, the gifts that they represent, they cost something. They are free to us, but they cost so much. God sent his only son, Jesus, to live, to die in our place. 
He gave up so much. He sacrificed so much. He took the sin and the punishment that we deserve so that our relationship with God could be restored. And so as we take communion, it reminds us that these incredible gifts that are available to us, patience, hope, joy, that they come with a price. But somehow God still offers them to us for free. When we follow Jesus, these things are possible. When we follow Jesus, it is possible to live in joy because of his death and his resurrection. Our relationship with God is restored. What an incredible gift that is to every single one of us. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he was at a meal with his closest friends. And during the meal, he took the bread and broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. In the future, when you eat this, remember me. A little while later, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. It represents the new covenant between God and his people. In the future, when you drink this, remember me. God, we thank you today for the incredible gifts that you offer to us. Show each and every one of us what it means to develop joy in our lives. Let it grow over time. Show us how each experience is forming us and shaping us, strengthening us, testing us, so that we can be made complete in you. What an incredible gift that is. Bless us with the gifts of perseverance, of endurance, as we work through that, and let our joy be evident to all in everything we do. We love you, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.